Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. What's happening? Not much, man. I'm sad that I didn't go to the Toronto Outdoor Show, but... Uh, you missed a lot. Uh, yes, yes. You uh, missed so saw much. Saw lots of posts. So a lot of, much. A lot of chitter-chatter. And, and you stayed home and... Unpacked. Unpacked. <laughs> but I can still see by the sasquatch look you got going there <laughs> i still haven't found uh, all my razors and trimmers so yeah it's uh who usually gives you a haircut well i still i did i get a haircut recently where i told her i'm just gonna start growing she just i had her trim the edges what your ears because i want to do a top knot i do not <laughs> <laughs> it does not look like you got a hair. You are lying. It would have been almost two months ago, or a month ago, maybe. That's not recent. You look like Sam Squatch, dude. <laughs> you got that beard going. You got yeah. your hair's gone curly. And I was thinking, what if I just went for a whole year, just for the heck of it? Do get you have the, running shoes? Get the homeless look going. Do you have running shoes? I've got several and pairs. shorts. Oh, you t- Tom Forrest. <laughs> yeah, you could be Forrest Gump. It would start be neat, running though to see what would happen. Like, what, I don't know. It was. Oh, you should have taken it before moving around now. Christmas. I think it was just before Christmas break that I stopped shaving. So this is about, I don't know, four months, five months. Four, That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't grow hair that fast, oh. except from in my ears. Well, that that's what I was talking quick. about. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Derek, anyway. Derek's, Derek's covered with hair from the top of his head to his tippy toes. <laughs> <laughs> He's Sam Squatch. <laughs> Joining us this week is Sam Squatch. <laughs> Anywho. So you're still uh, still unpacking? Still unpacking. Still like in the house? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Still using the boat in the pool? I uh, drained the pool down some because we had to, we're, we're getting it... Uh, going getting it opened up for the summer so i and took a uh, shock it yeah the, somebody's coming in to do that i've never done it before i've never had a pool before so we'll see how that goes good place to uh, practice your kayak rolling yes yeah ah. mm-hmm. yeah awesome awesome that's all you're doing just going to work and yeah looking yep. for your trimmers yes yes <laughs> you're gonna walk in here one day with a cleanly shaved face because you do know they still sell them, right? Well, I don't want to go buy a new one just because I can't find mine. And it, you know, do you it, not even have a razor? It doesn't cost me anything to just a grow the beard. razor? No, I don't have a straight razor. You, you got to go to one of those men's grooming shops and just... I cut my head right off. Have them put the hot towel on your face <laughs> and then all that. And the guy takes a straight razor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oops, sorry about your ear. Yeah. <laughs> Call you Derek Van Gogh. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, you missed a good time at the uh, Toronto Outdoor Adventure Show. Uh, it was great to get out and steer. I mean, we said that when we were at the uh, Canoe Symposium. Mm-hmm. You know, it was nice to see everybody and Look, actually get people. out to the <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God, there's people. Uh, you know, seeing friends, vendors, presentations, that sort of thing. Uh, a lot of people that we uh, haven't seen in a while that didn't make it to the Canoe Symposium. There were a boatload of YouTubers there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, everybody's talking about the YouTubers. Look at what all the YouTubers. The, Look at all the YouTubers. Nobody mentioned the podcast. Nobody even mentioned that large herd of one podcast. <laughs> large group of one, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of YouTubers there. So it was it actually was a nice uh, to meet a lot of them 
in person for the yeah. first time and that sort of thing. So uh, a lot of people uh, – You, I told you earlier, you were – where's Derek? Where's Derek? Where's Derek? Eventually, I just said, he's in the crapper. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be right back. He'll be right back. He's in the crapper. Stop asking. Uh, there was a lot of people that uh, came up and, and uh, introduced themselves. Cool. And said, hey, right I love your show. We were sitting there waiting for a sandwich, and and uh, a guy came up and said, hey, I listen to your podcast. and Cool. It's really, really cool to, hmm. to meet people that uh, listen to it and, and uh, whatnot. So, yeah, that was awesome. Um, and, yeah, I'll take that all day long. If anybody wants to come up and chit-chat yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. I'm I'm always – good with that and it ticks other people off because they're waiting for me to continue walking because <laughs> generally when i start talking my feet stop yeah apparently my mouth and feet can't move at the same time <laughs> who knew uh, there's pretty much the same stuff as every other year except there's still a lot of people there but there's definitely you can notice there fewer there was fewer mm-hmm. you know usually you're doing that little Half step shuffle going down because there's so oh, many yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. You didn't need to do that this year. There was hmm. still enough that you had to weave and stuff like that, and stop a couple times because people, you know, just stop in the middle of an aisle. So it's still a super spreader event, but not as super. not as supery. <laughs> yeah, it was super, but not supery. <laughs> uh, there's definitely some vendors were noticeably not there. Oh, okay. Like Swift wasn't there. Okay. Algonquin Outfitters wasn't there. You know. So there definitely was uh, some that were missed. Uh, a lot of things haven't changed from previous years. You know, there's still areas for paddling, biking, camping, travel, diving. You know, it's still the same setup realistically. Mm-hmm. They did change a couple of things around how it was done. But um, they had a big section at the back where you could test different types of, like, e-bikes and stuff. Oh, cool. Okay. Right? Usually there's a bunch of booths there. Mm-hmm. There wasn't this year. Yeah. So they cleared that. So you could definitely tell that's a big chunk of floor that was yeah. that was not un, uh, being used proper. Uh, they still had the presentation stages, but they didn't have as many presenters. So there were a few people that um, presented a couple times over the weekend. Oh, okay. Repeats. Right. So yeah, we're gonna yeah. you're gonna re- do your presentation Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Usually, sometimes that happens one, maybe two people, but there were seem to be more this year. Yeah. Uh, a lot of new or a lot of travel companies, like national and international. Yeah, they're trying to they're trying to kind of beat beat the beat their feet and get more people out. And yeah, it's everybody's businesses have slowed down because of the pandemic. So yeah. I they imagine there's a lot. Back. There's a struggle to get numbers back. Yeah, uh, I was there. Um, I checked out the North Alabama Outdoors Group there. I the West Virginia. Uh, tourism, the Virginia tourism. I was chatting with all of them about um, paddling places. Got some cards if you got any questions and whatnot. Give us me a shout and we can hook you up and all that sort of stuff. So that was pretty cool. Uh, there was the Northern Canada travel companies, you know, like the Simpson Air and all that sort of thing. So you can go up to the Yukon, the Northwest Territories, uh, fly in fishing or fly in canoe trips, that sort of deal. There was those companies. There was the ones that, you know, hey, come to Barbados and the Azores and Jamaica and yeah. places I've never heard of, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, everybody, you know, that that's everybody's, 
And you know, like as as paddlers, you hear that. Why are they bringing all that stuff in here? Well, because there's other people that just paddlers there, like all the divers down at the end, the oh, scuba yeah. divers, mm-hmm. and you know, they're all. Like, well, what do I care about paddling? I want to go in the water, not out of the water. Outdoor adventure. It's not just paddling. Yeah. Uh, the ever popular vendors that have absolutely nothing to do with the outdoors. <laughs> do you need bed sheets or gutters? Or gutter the gutter guards. Gu- Actually, I didn't see the gutter guard people oh, no? this year. No. Uh, there was the oh the ever popular was it D and D meats. Oh yes, the dried meats. Yeah. yeah, we didn't actually buy anything this year. No, it's the first time in ages we haven't walked home with dried cured meats of some. And you know why? Because I actually put a cooler bag in the truck. Just in case we had some food products, <laughs> okay. I could put it in a cooler bag. There you go. And leave it there all day. Because you brought it, they didn't go. But because I brought it, <laughs> we walked out with nada. <laughs> uh, not as much gear vendors. Uh, they were still enough there that you get a taste of what's available in yeah. regards to like paddle craft and camping gear. Trip Shed was there. That was the first for them, I think. That was, yeah. The, Tracy bought a brand new Ostrom Quetico pack from them. Uh, we've had the issue when we, we've been camping. She throws either the barrel or my um, sea line pack, 115 yep. liter sea line pack. And she's not the tallest of people. Oh, yeah. So when she's when she's got the sea line on, it hits the back of her legs. Mm-hmm. So she leans forward to compensate. Yeah. And the farther she walks, the lower she sort of bends yeah. to compensate. And it slows her down. It starts to hurt her back a bit. And a one-hour portage turns into like a two-and-a-half-hour portage. Yeah. And, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, we were told about the Quetico or the, the, the Ostrom packs. And uh, it, the one she got, the Quetico, does fit a shorter person perfect. So it's not hitting their back of her legs That's or anything good. like that. So we got her fitted for it. And it's got the extra straps that she can pull up to make sure it's raised higher. Um, it's 79 to 95 liters if it's fully extended. Mm-hmm. Internal dry bag, which is from Barrel Works. Yep. Uh, that's what I say, 175 liters. Mm-hmm. So we bought that as well. Uh, so it fits inside and throw all your stuff you want dry in that. Yeah. Right? So... Because the the Ostrom pack isn't waterproof. No, but what I like about packs like the Ostrom pack, like uh, I've got, uh, I have a couple different kinds of canoe, uh, you know, the the, uh, canoe packs, the dry packs, and they're very constrictive or restrictive, so they're tall and skinny. And so it's kind of hard to pack them and to get stuff in there and to well, make it. Well, you've really got to learn to do it. Yeah, yeah. it takes a skill. you got to learn how to pack those things and what has to go where. But with the Ostrom pack, it's it's uh, it's not waterproof, so you need these dry inner liner. But it, it just takes lumpy stuff, and you can just jam stuff in. And it uh, it's like, you know, you're just jamming a pillowcase full, so everything just kind of fits in there, right? Mm-hmm. So th- that's what I like about those packs. But uh you have to have some sort of uh, liner to keep your like your sleeping bag and food dry, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've I've been using the sea line bag for years. Mm-hmm. Sean Rowley, Tetris champion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. See, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, we got the uh, this this new Ostrom. It's got a foam back and heavily padded lumbar pad, shoulder straps of double layered foam. There's a chest strap, a hip belt. Optional tump line. I'm, I'm going to look into the optional tump line. 
I've tried it before, and I just, I've, I guess it just takes, there must be technique to it, because it always hurts my neck. Well, it hurts my as well, but I mean, like I say, if it's an extra little thing to maybe help. Even at the load, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll maybe look at getting one of those, even just to try. If it's not too expensive, pick one up and, and give it a whirl. Yeah, exercise those neck muscles. Yeah. They're, well, I mean, this is her pack, not mine. I'm not carrying it. You bought it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you bought it. You carry it. And I'll stick all the heavy stuff in there. Uh, 12 attachment points for extra gear. Three side compression straps. Four handles on the, on the sides, front and back for easy lifting. Now, see, that's the one thing with my C-Line pack. Is it's got the one at the top between the, the shoulder straps. Yeah. And that's it. So mm-hmm. I, yeah. I did one of those um, paracord, you know how you can make the bracelet things? Yeah. Well, I made a long one and put two beaners on the two D-rings at the bottom. Oh, on there the you front. go. Yeah. So I've got a massive rope one. And if something ever happens, I've got two carabiners yeah. and a big length of paracord. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so I, that's my C-line. Yeah. And so two straps. it's the... Uh, so it's not seal line. What's the other one that's uh, Eureka Pack? Mm-hmm. So uh, Mike Burns, like I'm used to just kind of hoiking mine in and out of the canoe, and I grabbed Mike's the wrong way there one trip, and I, I ripped one of the uh, hip straps right off. It's like, Ooh. oops, sorry, Mike. And it was I like a, a brand new pack one. too. Well, well, I've done that too. I've ripped mine with just stepping on the cord, lift the bag, and you're standing on the hip belt or something. It's like, oh, no. Oh, I'm stepping on the buckle for the hip thing. Yeah. I didn't realize it. Yeah. Show some stitches. Like, and oh, no, can't use it anymore. And yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a bottom side sleeve. So if you've got a hatchet or an axe or something, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you put that yeah. into there and yeah. then use the side things for the handle. Yeah, that way you're not. It's not falling out or something like. That. Yeah, not falling out. It's not or inside your, the pack. Um, it's easy access. The handle of your fishing rod. Oh yeah, yeah. Tent yeah. pole. Pe- yeah. People carry tent poles outside the I bag. put it on the outside just because it's, like, it depends. It, it, so in my waterproof pack, I put them on the inside because my uh, Eureka pack doesn't have outside pockets, really. Mm-hmm. But uh, my backpacks, I always put it on the outside. The hiking poles and the tent poles go on the pockets and the straps on the outside. Yeah. I think if I, I'm going to see how this one works. And... I might end up go buying one of the bigger ones for myself. Maybe not oh, yeah. the big. I think the Wabakimi is the biggest one. Want to hold a There's beetle a, like a Volkswagen Bug? Is it big enough to hold one of those? Yeah, I think if I jumped in it, somebody could carry me across the portage. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, but yeah, there's a mid one. I, I'm going to take a peek and, like I said, I'll see how this one fills up and works, and then go from there. Uh, so after we left, a trip shed is good. I really like the trip shed. Yeah. Um, is it tripshed.ca, I believe. But it's online stuff, everything. Yeah. You know, they, they carry everything. They go online and, and check them out. Uh, we, yeah, we saw beaners. We saw sprays. We saw packs and um, water gear and er, you name it, it was there. Okay. Just, they, they seem to have some of everything mm-hmm. there, which was, was pretty cool. Then we took a little wander down to the Eureka booth. Uh-oh. And I actually had this conversation with a few people. What is the big deal about jet boil? Mm. Right? Yep. Everybody over the last few years has been person jet boil, jet boil, jet boil, jet boil. I've been using my whisper light for 20 years. Yep. 
And last year, I had to replace the pump mechanism. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not having to deal with these canisters constantly. Mm-hmm. I just fill up my red Nalgene. Uh, yeah, my red Nalgene because, you know, that's what one does. The uh, red uh, fuel, fuel bottle, yeah. I just fill that up and, you know, um, I use I use it. But with the, with the jet boil, the pots and everything that fit on have that certain little thing. Integral burner. And they only fit into mm-hmm. that. And every, and I I honestly don't know. Nothing has jumped out at me yet as to man. I'm dropping all my my other gear and buying the jet boil system. Mm-hmm. I I'm on the same page as you. I did go on a trip once, so it was uh, it was with Grant Brower, and he had a jet boil, and so it was. It was pretty handy. We uh, it was really limited what we cooked with it. It was it was a, it was the meanest link, and uh, but it was just a quick morning coffee type thing or yeah. boil some water into a food pouch. So we weren't cooking. We were just adding water to yeah. foil pouches, and that's all I've seen anybody. That's all do we with had it. to do was boil water, and so it boiled water so fast. Mm-hmm. So it's very quick, just three or four minutes, and the water's boiled, and uh, and so it was. I don't know. It was it was handy, compact. It did have the propane canister, so it's. It, I think it's limited. I I personally wouldn't buy one myself. I found it handy. If somebody gave me one, I wouldn't complain. But uh, I'm not gonna like. I have a white gas stove. I like white gas stoves. Yep. I uh, I've thought about doing stick stoves, but that's another hassle. And so it's. Uh, I don't know. Like, like I am probably gonna get a stick stick stove just because. But uh, I I kind of like I like having that uh, quick on and off white gas stove, and uh, it's clean, it's tidy, it's you know the stove itself it's in my pots and it's it's simple and mm-hmm. you know like I I am I've been camping for well I don't know how long I've been camping forever forever so I'm on my second stove. I st- when I first started, like what thirty years ago, mm-hmm. or whatever it was, um, I had one of those green propane tank screw on. Okay, yeah. Stoves, right? So you mm-hmm. take the burner out, screw it on top of a green propane tank, that yeah. sort of thing. Uh, but then I got my Whisper Light right after that. After mm-hmm. a couple of years with that, I got the Whisper Light, and I've never looked back. My first stove was a Coleman Peak One integrated. Uh, Peak so- One. A lot of people had the Peak One. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so that was my first stove. And uh, then I went to it's I can't I can't remember the name of it oh so I don't know it's three letters oh crap um three letters yeah doesn't ah, matter anyway doesn't matter it's a it's a nice stove it's it's not that like what so the whisper light and those types of stove I find they're really loud. So, oh, it's the dragonfly. Is that it? Whoa. The dragonfly you can hear across the, like it sounds like. A jet, jet taking off. Yeah, yeah, because so, you'll you'll hear something, and all you hear is. Yeah, I I've heard a couple of people with those camping in groups, and it's yeah. like, okay, I got to figure out what that stove is because I do not ever want to yeah. get it. If you, and that was my big <laughs> thing. If you're getting an MSR stove, get the Whisper Light, not the Dragonfly. Yeah. yeah. Because a dragonfly <laughs> is like a jet craft in the first thing in the morning. Yeah. And when you're trying to get up nice and quiet and tear down camp so you don't disturb any of the other campers and you want to make that coffee, <laughs> ain't happening. Exactly. 
so yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I, I and I look at the jet boil constantly, and I really, you know, it, it's not. I mean, it's partly a money thing, but it, it not really. It's just I can't see the benefits of it over my current system. Yes, I know. You know. Yeah. So, needless to say, we didn't buy one. <laughs> However, the jet boil section of Eureka is surrounded by tents. Lots ah. and lots of tents. And tents, we found out, is what we need. <laughs> so, now that Tracy is getting into the canoeing, and she's been canoe tripping with me for a couple of years now... And she's met all these people, and some of the ladies say, oh, Sean's going away. Well, why don't we do a ladies' <laughs> weekend? Uh, do a girls' weekend. We'll go this way. And it becomes a, do we have enough gear to do that? And, well, we've got one of this and one of that and one of this, but we got two of those, two of those, two of those, two of those, two of those. Well, the tent is one of the things we only have one of. So when we did the Trent Severn Waterway trip, Ben, Stacy, and myself, uh, Eureka gave us some of the El Capitan 2 tents to use. Okay. It is a comfy tent for two people, if you know the people. <laughs> <laughs> Those aren't pillows. Uh, it is a great tent if it is one person with gear. Uh, I really liked that tent. Easy to set up, standalone, so you didn't have to put in the the pegs if you didn't want to. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, you could, yeah. It was it was a really good tent. There was um, uh, some pockets. There was two big vestibules, two doors, the whole meal deal. Well, they had one for about a hundred bucks off. Oh, and wow, that's a good price. It's a bit heavy. It's almost eight pounds, mm-hmm. so it is a bit heavy. But uh, if you're doing a, a good long trip, something like that, that's that's a good it, – it'll do you. It'll weather quite a number of things. So we saw it there and we said, yeah, you know what? Because the other option was something like the Midori or the Midori 2, which people have said, you know what? It's great. The Midori is, would be fine for me because I had the Spitfire Solo. Uh, the Midori is pretty much the same size. But uh, I know Trace wouldn't be comfortable in that. Um, I even know people that do the Hennessy hammock thing that are not comfortable in that, in the Midori. Yeah. They say, oh, it's too too small. Oh, it's just like a hammock, but on the ground. <laughs> yeah. So we walked down the line and saw the El Capitan 2 and uh, decided we'd pick up one of those. Uh, like I say, it was, say, what it was, I think it was like actually 90 bucks we saved. Uh, two two pole freestanding, seven and a half feet long, five feet wide, four feet high, just under eight pounds. Two doors, two vestibules, four storage pockets, heavy duty fifteen hundred floor, oversized zippers, a great all around tent. Yeah. Uh, and and the whole tent isn't fully mesh. Like I know our marmot is like. If you take the fly off, it's, it's all, all mesh. mesh. Yeah. The Midori is all mesh. My Spitfire was all mesh, you know, so you could sleep with the um, fly off and look yeah. up at the stars. Yeah. The bears can wander up and look at you, get exactly. to look at you. And, you know, that's 
that sort of thing. Uh, you can see the, the frogs that are hopping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, all the good things. Yeah. Uh, so we picked up one of those. So we now have two tents. There you go. Right? So um, it was a expensive weekend, <laughs> to say the least. I One of the things I wanted to check out, there's a company uh, near Wasaga Beach in Ontario here. Skaga Foss Canoes. Now, Skaga Foss is the big waterfall in Iceland. Um, they make, they're, they're a small little canoe company. They they do a whole bunch of other things as well, like uh, big four-wheel buggy things, all the composite stuff that goes on it, the, the plastic framey stuff and all that, Kevlar frame stuff. Uh, they make Kevlar Negra kayaks, or, or sorry, canoes, uh, basically same um, price range as Swift. Okay. That sort of thing. So you can get a 16-foot prospector for, you know, a few thousand dollars sort of thing. They make a couple other different versions. But the reason I wanted to check them out was out of pure, beautiful <laughs> canoe. Pure eye candy. Oh, yeah. The one I saw, all black with a fluorescent green bottom. Oh, nice. Dude, yeah. it looked... Uh, did I show you the picture of it? You did, yes. Yeah. It doesn't it show the whole looked, canoe, but it shows a... Yeah, on their website, there was a, a picture. And it is a sweet-looking canoe. And up close, in person, mm-hmm. wow. It is a beautiful canoe. Made of forged carbon... Now, when they lay the, he's saying when they lay the uh, um, Kevlar and stuff on a canoe at the front, then they cut it and sort of wrap it around sort yeah. of thing. This is all one giant thing. There is no no cutting, no folding. Oh, okay. No nothing. It's a stunning looking canoe. The gunnels are a uh, lightweight um, rounded aluminum, but it's rounded, mm-hmm. right? Lightweight, strong, beautiful, beautiful canoe. He makes 10 of them a year, $7,000 a piece. (laughs) Beauty does not cost me (laughs) (laughs) $7,000. You know what? There was a few things on it. You know like I say, when you look at it, it's it's eye catching, yeah. like pure one hundred percent canoe eye candy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's definitely created a piece of piece of artwork there. Uh, it's lightweight, like you say, with everything. But the little the round gunnels, you'd have to pinch those. You know how you got a good grip. Yep. You can use your thumb on one side you can and hook your, onto it, and four fingers on the other side mm-hmm. of, a, of a square aluminum yeah. gunnel sort of thing. You'd have to pinch these. You'd have to be like a good rock climber <laughs> to pinch these if you're going up hills and stuff yeah. to, to make it stop going straight oh, okay, up, that yeah. sort of deal. And I was looking at that and a couple of the little things. At the end of the day, if you saw it from afar like I did and said, whoa, but when you get up and start looking at all the and start picking things apart, yeah, yeah you just walk on by. <laughs> but let me tell you, if I were to see one and say sight unseen sort yeah. of deal, and I was I was Richie Rich, yeah. there's my seven grand, give me one. And then ah, I wish they'd do that better. I wish they would do that better. I wish they would have done that better. <laughs> 
but yeah, it was a sweet looking, sweet looking ride. So I went and checked out uh, Skaga Foss Canoes and, and um, yeah, you know what? If I had money to burn, it was just like the Langford Canoe for Hudson's Bay, that yep. limited edition one. Mm-hmm. If I had the money to burn, I would have had four of those. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, so I don't. I came across a similar thing over the weekend. My uh, my nephew sent me a, a link to a company out of Australia. And so they have my last name. So it's a company, somebody with apparently one of my relatives or something over in Australia. So they make custom espresso and coffee machines. And so it's so these things are fully custom. You can you can get one of their limited edition special machines or you can work with the builder and they'll hand select some you know, sustainable wood to make the handles and the knobs and the you know the, the custom uh, the coffee press and all that stuff. It's it's all handmade and it's this it's like this uh a steampunk type it's it's a, they're beautiful machines and you can you can get small ones or large ones whatever anyways they're like you were saying about the canoe it's pure eye candy but these uh these uh special uh coffee espresso makers are like uh like 10,500 Australian dollars that would go good in my $7,000 canoe <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know there's things you look at you're like I would love to have one of those if I was filthy rich yeah. and had more money than brains. Yeah. You know, you'd but, have to have money to burn, but what what a beautiful espresso machine. Yeah. It's like, oh, look at that. <laughs> so make us an espresso before we go paddling yes. for the day. I thought that I thought when you were saying it's all customizable, when you sent me the picture, yeah. I thought it meant you could customize it with your own name. No. That's why I thought, oh, look, Derek had his own name put on it. Yeah, no, this is a, this is a company. <laughs> I some, didn't realize that. Some dude with my last name is making espresso machines in the, in Australia. Maybe it is you. Maybe it's your brother or something. Maybe your dad's got a new job. He didn't really Maybe. retire. So I thought that was cool. I was like, well, it's, it's neat that, it, that the, they have my name, but, but it's even neater. The custom handiwork to build these machines. Wow. Like they're, they're just, they are eye candy. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, unfortunately, that's all it is. Yeah. It's eye candy, and hopefully you don't spend the cash before you realize, well, <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have bought that. Yeah. When I win the when I will win the $70 million Auto Max, I'll, uh, I'll buy you a machine. You'll buy, you'll buy me a machine. <laughs> yeah, not the canoe of the machine. <laughs> One of the boats, however, yeah. that I wouldn't mind buying... So you know when we're talking about going to Banks Island, you get the pack boats. Yes, the skeleton the, has the metal skeleton inside that you can take apart, and the skin—it's like a skin-on frame yep. boat. You can pack it down into a bag, mm-hmm. and when you take it up there, you set it all up and paddle yeah. away, right? Track kayaks—we've talked about track kayaks before. They actually had a booth that was selling track kayaks. They're basically, oh, they were there. They were there. They were like a—they're so they're like a. Um, uh, Skin on frame kayak, mm-hmm. right? Portable sea kayak, metal tube frame. I think they're Canadian. They started as a Kickstarter, right? Uh, no, I think they're the U.S. Yeah, dude was from the U.S. with okay. them. So okay. uh, he's up from Rochester. So uh, plastic front and, and back in a, in a seat. Fits into a bag about the size of a hockey bag. Skin on frame design. There's three pneumatic hand pumps in it, three. which I'm like, what? 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 I only saw one. Like the Reebok, first time. Reebok punk type thing. 
Well, it's, it's like a, you know, your emergency brake to your side where yep. you pull it up and you can mm-hmm. do donuts in the winter and that sort yeah. of thing. Picture that. But picture one smaller yeah. between your legs. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, the other one. I'm <laughs> <Pump> harder. <laughs> Not that one. So picture that. Now, I, I only saw that one to begin with, right? The yeah. first time I was at the booth. So it changes the rock. So what it does is when you pump it, yeah. It changes the rocker on the kayak. More responsive so than sh- white water. And- yeah. So if you're flat, if if you're doing flat water, you got it out. Mm-hmm. And then if you're going to go play in the you you start pumping it. And he showed me, and the ends go up. Wow. It totally raises the front and back of the boat. So you can go play in the waves. That's a neat idea. And then when you're done, you just press the button, release the pressure, and it flattens back down flattens again. Flattens for stability again. Huh. The coolest. Uh, we've talked about these before, but I yeah. never knew there was a, a, a hand pump. The Reebok version of it's the yeah. uh, kayak version of Reebok pumps. So when I found out there was two more, I went back and talked to them again. And what the ones on the side do is you can adjust it, and basically, it bends the kayak. Really? So if you're paddling, well, you if you're paddling along as one does, yeah. And you're getting hit by, say, a side wind or something, oh. and you're constantly having to redirect yourself. Yeah, you can crank one of them, and it sort of bends it, so it acts basically like a rudder or a skag. Yeah, so you can you not having to constantly adjust. Huh, it's automatically adjusting for you, and it it'll help you track where you need to go. Wow! And at the end, you just hit the button; it releases it. Everything straightens out again. And sounds like there's a lot that could go wrong with one of those. Didn't get it. I was just a lot of moving parts. I I was just dazzled by all the shiny things. <laughs> Ooh, pretty. <laughs> pretty. But wait, that's not all. <laughs> okay. So, do you remember when we were talking to Cocopelli Pack Rafts? Yes. They had the one that I was really interested in, and one of the features I was orange. interested in had the zipper on one of the front inflatable sections. You could store stuff in. You it. could store gear in it, right? So the track has two big inflatable bags, flotation bags, front and back. Yep. Which takes up like a big section of the front and back. Well, what you can do is put gear in it and then you stuff it in and then you inflate them. Yeah. So your gear is inside these big bags that you then fill up with air to help with flotation front and back. Mm Mm-hmm. So you can carry it if you're going on a, a trip. Yes. Because that's what he said. Oh, that's just, that kind of, this wouldn't be good for a long trip because you got no gear space. And that's what he, oh, yeah, you do. Look here. And he said, yeah, the amount of stuff I've stuffed in there, he says, mm-hmm. was like phenomenal. And I was like, they really thought yeah. this out pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I Yeah, I was, you know what, uh, and being able to tear it down for people that don't have the storage room, live in apartments. Don't have a big car to carry a full-size kayak on, that sort of thing. Like the idea of a pack boat that you can tear down but aren't into canoes. They're into kayaks. Mm-hmm. Boom. The track kayak. I think track 2.0 is out. I think that's, that's pretty one cool. That's out. It was, you know what, just watching them set it up and show all the little, little quirky things it does. Mm-hmm. And he says once you get good at it, from bag to totally built, 10 minutes. Huh. Yeah. 
And it's not like the Oru kayak or anything like that that you got to unfold and yeah. like origami sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. If I had to take Oru kayak or a track, you take a track. I would take the track. Like even the 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 well, you know your kayak. You got the skin off ring kayak. Mm-hmm. This is if, like you hammer it and it sounds like a drum. Yeah. Right on the skin that comes with it, uh, but it's thick vinyl material stuff. Uh, yeah, check them out. Track T R A K kayaks online. Uh, they're really really cool. So. Um, what else? Did, oh, Hap Wilson was there. Hap and Andrea doing the Eco Lodge, trying to promote that. And, um, Hap has his books out. I bought Dance of the Dead Men, one of his books, uh, based on, uh, I'm thinking this is a future Derek's book club book that <laughs> I will read and then report on because we know how that works. Don't we, Derek? Yeah. Uh, it's based on explorer John Hornby's attempt to spend a year living off the land up on the Thelon River in 1926. Okay. Uh, he and his cousin Edgar Christian and a buddy Harold Al- Adlard, uh, they missed the caribou migration, so they ended up lacking enough food to survive the winter, and they all died in 1927 of starvation. Oops. So Hap's done a whole bunch of research and stuff like that. Their graves, you can actually see their graves on the Thelon River. Well, on the side anyway. Uh, but he did a whole bunch of research and everything over the years and was put it all together. Uh, what does it say? One of Canada's most legendary stories, the reader embarks on a journey as if they were there with Hornby and his two charges. Wilson adds dialogue to the events that unfold using excerpts from Edgar's surviving diary. Not sparing any detail, the author applies his own vast knowledge of winter survival to events that led to the three to disaster in a land that shows no mercy for the ill-prepared. Wilson bravely delves into the psychology of men in isolation when deprived of hope but not of love. Hmm. I just like the adventure thing and the canoes, yeah. water, the whole yeah. thing up there. So, yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to give that a, a read and... Uh, Come back and I'll chit-chat about it. Yeah, that is yeah. my library. We'll add it to your the library. Derek's Book Club Library. The Derek's Book Club Library. It's growing back here, too. <laughs> That's an awful lot of books in your library back here, buddy. That's a lot of books without the spines cracked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kid Stoves was there. Kid Products. Yes. Their stick stoves. Uh, they thought you were going to show up and uh, pick up a stove. <laughs> and uh, I tell uh, you, were, you were, you know, could you keep... Saying, yeah, I got to pick one of those up. One yeah. day I'm going to pick one of those up. I will one day. What's that right on the uh, thing there? That's a stove. That's a stick stove from mm-hmm. from Kid Products. That's for you. Seriously? I bought it for you, buddy. No, you didn't. I did. Why'd you do that? Because I did. You've been here six years. You buy gear, uh, beer all the time. <laughs> that is my <laughs> gift Your contribution? to you. That is my contribution to you. So you get out, and if you don't believe me, you can tell. I'll talk to Ingo next time you see yep. him. I said, you know what? I'm tired of Derek talking about it. I'm going to be nice. <laughs> I'm going to buy Derek a gift. I look at them every time I go. It's like, oh man, yeah. Happy birthday, happy anniversary, happy <laughs> 325 <you> <laughs> episodes, buddy. Merry Christmas. Thanks. So man. you can you can fold it all back up and put it in the bag. There's instructions <laughs> and everything. It's pretty quite easy to to put together too. Very nice. See. 
Derek's Derek's crying. <laughs> Derek's got tears in his eyes. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate Sean, it. Sean bought me a gift. I got him nothing. That's right. You got me nothing. Hey, I got you that <laughs> towel behind you there. <laughs> the laser engraved uh, Paddling Adventures radio right. uh, quick dry towel. So you'll have to give that a whirl and let me know how it works. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem, buddy. <laughs> oh, uh, did I give you one? Oh, there's one of those um, uh, blow sticky thingies. Cool. What are they called? Blow stick. Bellows. Bellows. One of the two bellows. bellows. Yeah, pocket bellows. That's it. Got you one of those as well. Wow. So I, use that in your stick stove and... Jeez, I should... Uh, go to town. Go to less outdoor shows more often. <laughs> Happy to see you not there. Here's a gift. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like how that worked out, eh? Well, that's pretty awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, enjoy it. I'm blown away. Yeah. Just don't blow yourself up with it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. See... And now Siobhan can't say, oh my God, I can't believe you spent more money. I know, I didn't. Because you didn't. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> at the uh, at the Canoe Symposium, I bought one of their... Now, it's really it's really nice uh, a reflector oven. Yep. And it's bigger than other reflector ovens I've seen in the past. So I came home with it and she goes... Why did you buy that? You already have one. It's like, but this is bigger. I can cook a roast in it. <laughs> I told you. Tell her it was mine and you were hanging on to it for me. I charge I charge $5 at any show. <laughs> and I will hang on to something and say it's mine until your wife's not looking and I will slip it in your car you somewhere. Go. Or we'll meet up clandestinely yeah. in the back streets of Toronto in an alley and I'll slip it off to you somewhere. John said he didn't like it. He gave it to me. Yeah, yeah. $5 and I'll say that. I'll, I'll agree to your story. I'm going to be rich. <laughs> $7,000 canoe. Here I come. See, it's, it's not that she, she won't let me buy stuff. It's that it, she sees it as frivolous spending. It's a waste of money. It's frivolous. It's like what? You know, with negativity like that. I know, right? <laughs> and see, I'm just the opposite because I, Tracy gets mad because I see something, man, I could really use that, but you know what? That's mm-hmm. X amount. I, yeah. I'm not, no, I can do with, I'll still use my 90 year old one. Yeah. That's one I've had. Oh, just buy the damn thing. <laughs> no, I got other things to spend 300 bucks on yeah, or yeah. whatever it is. But over the last year or so, apparently that theory's gone right out the window. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hate buying new stuff. I yeah. I love looking at it. I love the idea of buying it. Mm-hmm. But I'm just such a cheap ass. He first comes to shovel. And the thing you already have is still working fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, look at my truck, my Ranger. I drove that for 20 years. I know, it's that's still incredible. still working. Why do I need to? <laughs> yeah, it's got a rust hole on the one side. Yeah. Whatever. It's still getting me from point A to point B. But eventually, you got to buy something new. So. Yeah. So, yeah, enjoy it, buddy. Thanks. A um, few episodes ago, we talked about the, is it Sydenham or Sydenham? Sydenham. 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 Sydenham River Canoe and Kayak Race. We talked about that a few episodes back. It was happening on my May 1st. And our buddy Mikey Burns, by, oh, I did that race like, 200 years ago or mm-hmm. 10 years ago or whatever it was to which we said well smarty pants you need to do it again and he did turns out he got a buddy and they entered the 12 kilometer wreck tandem men's division mm-hmm. and he brought willow along yeah 
they did it in one of his uh, Caesar Strip canoes. Yeah. He says, we had some white water, rocks, deadfall, and winds to deal with. So I assume there's got to be some more, there's some scratches, some more scratches yep. that are not your fault, Derek. Not this time. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I always seem to break or scratch something on his trips. Yeah. Well, it's there for I put the first scratches on his white water boat. I put a bunch of scratches on his cedar stripper. I broke a seat on his cedar stripper. I broke his pack. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm surprised he lets me go camping and canoeing with him. Note to self, don't let Derek near any of my <laughs> canoes. Good Lord. <laughs> uh, seems like they enjoyed themselves and they were a couple of old guys. Uh. They won their division. They came in first place. That's awesome. Congrats, Mikey. They came in first and last. They were only one of the division. Well, I didn't. I didn't, didn't ask question, question him on that. <laughs> He's holding up the little statue of first place. I saw the statue. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. I, I wasn't going to say, are you like first out of a large group of one? <laughs> I, did, I didn't want to be rude. I didn't want to burst his bubble. Because, you know, once he starts now, he might sign up for yeah. a second one where there may actually be two canoes yeah. involved. <laughs> no, I think there was a, a few canoes in, in that. There's, it seems to be a popular, popular canoe trip or, mm-hmm. or a race, so. Yeah, way to go, Mikey. Yeah, good for him. That's yeah. awesome. That's that's impressive. Yukon River Quest, here he comes. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> uh, you sent me an article. I read the whole article. This was a, what in the New York Post. Yes, New York Post. Yeah. And the, the when you start going through the article, it gets quite political. It gets politi- It goes all over the board, man. This but if you read between the lines and ignore yeah. that stuff, it does give a very good history of of how, the hows and whys that camping became a pastime in the United States. Now, it only talks about the states, but you can imagine the same thing would have propagated throughout North America, Canada, you know, in mm-hmm. Europe and stuff like that. It's just it's it's something that kind of organically grew. Out of something, and 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 when I read the article, like I see you, you went to a uh, a book, Camping Grounds by well, Phoebe Young, but yeah. mine was a actual article, and so, but I found it interesting how it became, how camping became a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the the article is based on her book. Okay, right. So Phoebe S K Young wrote a book called Camping Grounds. Public Nature in American Life from the Civil War to the Occupy Movement. And it's an exploration of the hidden history of camping in American life that connects a familiar recreational pastime to camps for functional needs and political purposes. Yes. So, you know, we all talk about camping. Well, we're going camping. We're going to go enjoy the wilderness and stuff like that. Um, But then there's the other people that are doing the... Occupy, like Occupy Toronto, Occupy Detroit, Occupy Washington, Occupy Seattle, when that movement happened. And they were all making these big tent camps. They also talk about um, homelessness. Mm -hmm. Like you have the big tent cities where all the homeless people live downtown. Yeah. That sort of thing. And, And, you know, there's, it's all tents. It's all like they're camping, but not really camping. They're homeless. Uh, there's the, uh, old saying, Camping is just rich people paying to live like homeless Good people. Good money to pay, live like a yeah, homeless person. Yeah, I can't remember the exact, but yeah. that's the, the, the gist of it. Uh, camping appears to be a simple 
proposition, a time-honored way of getting away from it all, pack up the car, hit the road in search of a shady spot in the great outdoors. For modest fee, reserve the basic infrastructure, picnic table, parking spot, uh, a place to build a fire, pitch the tent, unroll the sleeping bag, sit under the stars with friends or family and roast some marshmallows. That's what we want. We say, well, that's camping. Mm-hmm. And the book reveals that for all its appeal, the simplicity of camping is deceptive. Its history and meanings far from obvious. Uh, why do some Americans find pleasure in sleeping outside, particularly when uh, when so many others, past and present, have had to do so for reasons other than recreation. Uh, never only a vacation choice, camping has been something people do out of a dire necessity and a tactic of political protest. Yet the dominant interpretation of camping is a modern recreational ideal has obscured the connections to these other roles. So... She's, they, they go on, um, like I say, I, I went through the whole article that you sent. Mm-hmm. They get quite detailed in some of the events and, and, and it they got did. really political. Yeah. So I was, I found the only the first half of the article useful. And then there's two or three sentences later on in the article that I found kind of useful that I was mm-hmm. going to pull out to, to discuss tonight. But it was, uh, it was interesting to see how, how it came to be. And like they talk about the homeless issue and, and, you know, in the early 20s, there was a million people living in, you know, camping there as a lifestyle. And by the late 20s, it was 2 million. By the 30s, it was after the, you know, the depression got in underway and there's 3 million people. But for the most part, it's, it started out as people just, just wanting to, like instead of uh, roasting in these, uh, you know, these hotels, motels along the sides of the road, it was like, hey, let's find something peace and quiet, and you know, back to the riparian ways of our forefathers type thing, right? Mm-hmm. One of the the things um, terms she uses for actual people who like to get out and actual camp, yeah, like just recreational tin can tourists. So that came about when the Model T Fords were, like a lot of people, Model T Fords, they'd roll up and they'd have everything packed away in their Model Ts. And and so they called them tin can tourists because they just showed up in this metal box and they'd be unpacking stuff out of it. And so I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So in her book, she uses extensive research to trace uh, links between veterans, tramps, John Muir, African-American freed people, native communities, early leisure campers in the 19th century, Tin camp tourists, federal campground designers, depression era transients, family campers, backpacking enthusiasts, and political activists in the 20th century, and the crisis of the unsheltered and the tent-based Occupy movement in the 21st century. So she gets the whole gamut yeah. of the meaning of camping, what it means, and it's it's not as simple as you think. I'm going camping for the weekend. It goes way mm-hmm. beyond that. It, it sounds like a really interesting. It might be. Uh, I'm kind of flip flopping whether to buy the book or not. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I think it may get too American political. Yeah. That would sort of like okay. I don't want to. I'm not interested in that aspect of it. But um, what do they say? The entwined stories of how Americans camp to claim a place in the American Republic and why the outdoors is critical to how we relate to nature, the nation, and each other. Mm-hmm. is an awesome, awesome idea. It is. For a book. And so from from what I was reading, it, what, what I found interesting is how it developed over time. 
because back when it first started, it, it, a lot of people were doing it a necessity just because of the depression and so on. Mm-hmm. And then you had people who started doing it recreationally. And so it was a way to get out of the cities and get back into the country. And so like along out in the West Coast, they talked about it and, uh, and the genesis of creating these looped campgrounds with specific campsites was because they had too many people wandering through and trampling the roots of the big redwood forests. And, and so it was, it was harming the trees because everybody was trampling the forest. So they said, no, you're only allowed to walk on these designated trails. So it'd be tra- like willy nilly camp. Uh, crown land camping. It was. So started yeah. with really nearly crown land camping. Then it moved on to, we have to protect the, the, the forest areas. So they, they created one, they created directional trails. You could only go around this trail clockwise, this one clock, counterclockwise. And then they had these little, these little pullouts for people to either drive up to or walk up to. And it was just on the side of the trail. It was your campsite. And then from there it developed and they, they, it became a thing. So right up into the fifties and sixties, they were still developed the idea of what a campground should and could look like and what it could be and, and you know, all the facilities. And so it, it developed slowly over time and we get so used to using these campgrounds that we forget about the fact that these things just didn't show up overnight. They were developed over decades of use of how do we do this? How do mm-hmm. we design this? How do we make this so that we don't have people wander around? willy-nilly and trampling all the trees and you know it it uh it it's just it was interesting the aspect and perspective of of the developmental process of camping well one of the other th- things they were talking about is like after the civil war they talked about these guys with, with everything with vagrancy yes the vagrancy yeah. became a big thing because people were going out camping and stuff like that and they'd be getting arrested because some of the some of the people were saying well because they were in the civil war and they got used to camp life yeah. while they were just lazy. They didn't want to get a job. Yes. They just wanted to hang out in a tent all day and sit around a fire. So they were just being lazy. They were being vagrants. and So they, they put that whole aspect on it. When, no, they were just enjoying nature. Yeah. Uh, well, no, you're a vagrant and you're going to get arrested. And, and so what it, they found it, is that people and people to, because when you would go camping, you'd be like nose to nose with vagrants. You'd be, oh, that guy, I think he's homeless, but that guy, I think he's a camper. Mm-hmm. So you, but you couldn't tell. So what they found is that over time, back in the twenties, the people were like dressing up to go camping and all their finery, because it's like, I have to distinguish myself. I don't want the authorities to think I'm homeless. I'm here to camp on purpose because mm-hmm. it's my vacation. So they would be you know, in, in top hats and ties and this is what I'm doing. I'm going camping. I'm, you know, and, and back then everybody dressed proper anyways, right? Not like we do today with shorts and t-shirts. Yeah. It's uh, everything was proper and ties and suits. And so, yeah, so they, to distinguish themselves from the vagrants and the homelessness, the hobos, then they had to kind of dress themselves up. So it was, it's interesting that the whole thesis behind it it's like oh this is really interesting i think that would be a book you would definitely want to read it would be it would be camping grounds public nature in american life from the civil war to the occupy movement by phoebe s k young check it out like i say it's it's got some fascinating ideas and like i say the whole history of camping from the beginning getting up from leisure to political sides to necessity because well like you say great yeah. depression people are are homeless and they've got to set up tents to live in and, and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff so 
And and now and these days during these times of uh, the pandemic, it's camping has discovered a resurgence. There was one one thing I wasn't going to mention that they talked, and I, I don't think I, I put it out there. There was a family because of the once the pandemic hit, they lost everything. They were living out of a bus. Oh yes, yes. And they were camping because their bus was in for repairs, and it, some people thought they were members of oh i can't remember the tifa yes antifa they thought they were antifa it was a mixed and, mixed race family they thought yeah. they were antifa and they were they were harassing them and hounding them and yeah. and everything and they were doing everything in their power to tell them no we're not political we're camping we're, man we're out of a house and a home <laughs> we're jobless we're we're living in a, a tent until our bus is fixed yeah. and eventually they all realize oh they mm-hmm. are telling the truth yeah. But what kind of harassment is that? And these were like the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. The villagers yeah. came out with pitchforks and torches and camping like, Come ain't on. camping. <laughs> you know? But yeah, tin can tourists, tramps. Yeah. You know, vagrants. And, I mean, you think those are words from the 20s. 100 years ago, yeah. sort of thing, yeah. right? But it's it's all in the book. And uh, it, it sounds like a cool book. I think you should read it and actually. Yeah. You should actually read this one because <laughs> this sound honestly this sounds it right does up sound interesting alley. yeah I want yeah. I don't think it's it's probably because it's only what uh, a year old or something mm-hmm. um, I don't think that's on Audible yet <laughs> uh, Ontario talking let's just stay in the the realm of um, political issues for a moment. Well, I don't know. This, this, no, it's not political. Well, it's on this Ontario is, Parks political. Yeah, I guess so. But this is out of necessity. Down with the man. <laughs> <laughs> Power to the people. So, I, and I can see the the genesis of this. I can see where this came from. And I, I like over the past. Oh, for this year is the first time in about six or seven years that I haven't bought an Ontario Parks pass. Loser. <laughs> well, I, like I initially hadn't got around to it, but it was also this, this had started up last year, what we're about to talk to, and it's expanded into other parks. So just out of necessity, there's so many people doing, going into Ontario parks and accessing the parks that they've had to, because of the overpressure, the, the massive amount of pressure on the park systems, they said, okay, you know what? We're only going to allow so many passes. Like, so I, I don't know what the numbers are, but I know that uh, there was a, a time or two where we got turned away from uh, Darlington Provincial Park here near home. And uh, they said, no, no, we have all our, all our day passes are, are, are taken for the day. It's like, it's like, oh, really? I didn't know that was a thing. So what they're doing is they're limiting the number of people. So, for and it was like I ha- I have a I have an annual pass. They said, "Sorry, you need a a day pass on top of your annual pass. Mm-hmm. The day pass is free if you have the annual pass. If you don't have the annual pass, the day pass is twelve, fourteen, eighteen, whatever it is. I don't whatever know. it usually is. Yeah. yeah so so uh, what they started doing, they started with like fifteen or eighteen parks, and uh, they said, "Okay, anybody with an annual pass." You can book up to five days in advance. So, let's say next Saturday, I want to go. Uh, I want to go hiking on Monday. I can book ahead of time and say, yes, I'm going to go to Algonquin. We're going to do all these such a ridges trail and so on and so forth. And so you get your free day pass that is works in conjunction with your annual pass. 
And all that is is to limit the number of people that can get in. Mm-hmm. Just like in a theater, you can only fit 150 people. That's it. That's all we can do. We're no, there's no standing room in the theater. So that's basically what it is in the park. It's like we can only fit so many people in and then they're like the parking lots are overloaded and, and there's too many people on the trails and there's, it's just, it's, it's untenable. There's just, just too many people. Too many people are loving the parks to death. So they started this process and it's like, ah, oh, man, it's like, I have I, I paid however much for my annual pass, and now I have to book ahead. I can't just like, hey, why don't we go for a hike this morning? No, mm-hmm. that doesn't work. Maybe if I go to a, to a local Cloca Pass or one of these conservation uh, hiking areas, I can I can do that. But uh, but no, not uh, with Ontario Parks. Now this is oh, there's thirty three parks now. They're currently thirty three. You yeah. can pre book if you have an annual pass. Yeah, because there's like you say, there's many times where like. Friday night. What's up this weekend? Nothing. Well, do you want to go to Algonquin for a yeah. hike or take the canoe up? We'll zip up to, you know, zip around Opiago yeah, yeah. or Canoe Lake or something like that. Go visit the Tom Thompson mm-hmm. Cairn and all that sort of stuff. And well, if I drive three hours up <laughs> and they're at their <laughs> limit, they're going to go, sorry. sorry, Charlie, turn around another three hours home. Yeah. Go to go to find it. Maybe oh, let's find another local place. Yeah, find I'm a conservation not, area. I can see why they're doing it. Yes, out of necessity. But I hate that. I know. I know. Five I know. days. Like I don't know some days what I'm doing for lunch. For crying out <laughs> loud! Much less five days yeah. from now. Yeah. So it's easy to understand, and it's easy to understand how they got where they're at. But still, it's like, man, it's just a another thing, right? It's yeah. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's too bad. It's, it's yeah, it's it's a fine line between liking it and hating it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like I say, it's the spontaneity thing is is something we do a lot of. Yep, and that just Us too. that just kiboshes. Yeah, you know. So anyway, uh, another thing that is very sketchy. Oh, okay. Oh, Lee Valley, <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> For la- well, ladies and gentlemen, not just just gentlemen uh, and kids. Yeah, yeah. Anybody who has a mother, yes, Mother's, Mother's Day's Day coming. Is coming up. Yeah, yeah. Do not fall <laughs> for the little video advertisement that Lee Valley Tools has put out. So, Derek sent this to me. So I I get these emails from Lee Valley all the time about this sale, that sale, and. <laughs> They put out a little video. Uh, no, it's just an email. It was, no, no, no a video? there's a video. Oh, there's a video, I, there's too. There's a video. I yeah. watched. Stephen has items his mother might like. Oh, she might like a pasta maker. Yeah. Here. Um, Kitchen items? Are you kidding? Oh, glasses cleaner for cleaning your eyeglasses. Yeah. A ratcheting screwdriver with a hidden bit holder. <laughs> A pyrography kit, which is fancy for a wood-burning kit. I'm making art with fire. (laughs) A stud finder. No, not that kind of stud finder. (laughs) One that finds the studs in your wall. (laughs) A knife sharpener. All things your mom is going to love. I know, right? So, honestly, when I first saw this, the stud finder on the page there was big and yellow, and it's like... What? A stud finder? And it's like, oh, that's an inside joke. Somebody's making a joke when they it's sent this email be. out. Because if 
You but I know for me, if my when my kids were smaller, I bought the mom day gifts. Yeah. If I were to buy my wife a knife sharpener in a pyrography kit, <laughs> she would sharpen the knife, stab me with it, <laughs> and then she'd bury me in the body, it, it bury my body in that nice wood box she made and did a nice design <laughs> with her yeah. wood burning kit. Here, honey, here's some stuff to cook in the kitchen with. Oh, and here's a stud finder. Yeah. Like, what? And here's I'm gonna a need stud, a stud finder, finder shoved. Yeah, she's going to need a stud finder after she buries your body in the backyard. I'm hoping Lee Valley is having a bit of a joke with this, or there's going to be a lot of men sleeping on the couch this Mother's the, Day. So that email, it came out around, uh, it came out in late April. And uh, so the one that came out a couple days ago, all those wonky stuff was gone from the email. It was like, favorite things for Mother's Day. And it's like, because there was no stud finder. There's- and Stephen has been fired. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Stephen, you're out of a job. Why are we getting so many complaints about this email? Yeah. Email about Mother's Day specials. Oh, this is a very expensive miniature pasta maker for mom. Yes. What? <laughs> Here, mom, make some gnocchi. Yeah. Hey, look at this, Ma. I got your pasta maker. Why don't you get your butt in the kitchen and make Make me some. There you go. Make me a sandwich while you're in there. That's going to just fly so well. Bad idea. Uh, we got, what, a couple. All the rest of our talk, topics involve. Common theme. Poop. <laughs> Get ready for poop. Poop. Poop galore. This- How many times can we say poop in the next 20 minutes? <laughs> poop, poop, this segment poop. of the show is brought to you by the letter P for poop. The letter P, the letter O, and the word Oop. <laughs> uh, so you were telling me about Denali. Oh, yes. There is an issue with Denali. People are no longer allowed. Well, they're changing it now. They're, they're changing it it's now. It's in the process of being changed. So that people will no longer be able to... Poop on the mountain. They can poop on the mountain, but they can't put it in a bag or take the little frozen poo statue and dump it in the crevasse. Yes. So traditionally, they had been... They had been dumping, so that you go up a Denali and at uh, there's a there's a base camp area at about seventeen thousand five hundred feet, and uh, what they had been traditionally doing was uh, you'd poop in your bucket and in your bucket be lined with a biodegradable bag, and then the process of getting rid of it was you walk over to the nearest crevasse and toss it in, and so all this poop would be filling up these crevasses because the National Park Service. It would be thinking, hey, it's going to biodegrade. It's going to break down. It's like, you know, the summer, winter temperatures. It's going to flip-flop and it's going to, all this stuff is just going to go away. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, boy, were they wrong. So I remember reading an article a couple of years ago. They were finding that the watersheds off of Denali were becoming polluted with E. coli that were starting to affect nearby towns. And the nearby towns were having to come up with solutions because they, they were going to have to start drilling wells instead of relying on water from the rivers and so on, right? A hundred years of duty. Yes. Yes. It's incredible. So here's a, here's a thing from uh, Google that... So Denali has had a poop problem for years. Since 1970, over 34,000 climbers have left behind an estimated 66 metric tons of feces along the West Buttress Buttress climbing route. So, it, 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 which is the most popular way to reach the summit? So it's uh, Six, <laughs> 66 six metric, metric tons, tons of poop. That's a lot of poop. 
<laughs> wow. So, and so apparently what you're seeing now because of of uh, global warming issue is that a lot of these glaciers are melting. And so what you see instead of these pristine white glaciers, you see that's a chocolate milk glacier pouring down the side. And you can see all of the brown stains melting out of the base of the glacier. Ew. It's like, wow. And so what they're also finding is that uh, they've done studies over the last couple of years. And a notable one was in 2002. They found that uh, 36 or 39% of people were coming back from Denali and they had gastrointestinal issues and they were ill. And these are things that could be life-threatening if you get sick on the mountain, right? So they were coming back down and they were like, have serious diarrhea, gastrointestinal issues. It's like they're E. coli poisoning basically. So mm-hmm. on the mountain, there's no fresh water, you melt snow. And so what they're finding is that a lot of this snow, then they're chunking chunks of ice and snow out of the glaciers. It's like, well, this is contaminated with feces, right? That's my great, great grandpappy's poop. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so <laughs> they're changing that. So that leads into another thing where we, there was an art, a big article about, yeah. was changing... The outdoor poop etiquette. Ah, yes. So this just isn't to uh, Denali. Yeah. Uh, the late leave no trace principles say the best practice for disposing of human waste in the wilderness is to bury it in a cat hole that is six inches deep and at least 200 feet from water. Generations of outdoor enthusiasts have been taught that doing so avoids polluting water, minimizes the risk of spreading disease, and maximizes the rate of fecal decomposition. Exactly. Yet, as the number of people using public lands has exploded in recent decades, scientists and land managers are pushing back against this time-honored wisdom. With so many more people playing and pooping outside, they say it's time to update our backcountry poop etiquette. Uh, In the early 1980s, microbiologists from the University of Montana inoculated human feces with salmonella, Salmonella <laughs> and E. coli buried in the waste at different depths and elevations in the Bridger Mountains, then measured bacteria levels in the surrounding soil over several seasons. They found that regardless of how deep the feces were buried and the kind of soil they were buried in, high levels of pathogens persisted for more than a year. More recently, wilderness crews digging holes for new backcountry pit toilets <laughs> in the Rocky Mountain National Park have been covering previously buried pits that are at least a decade old and still filled yeah. with waste. Mm-hmm. So it's not decaying. Like no, it's being preserved because it's in such a in, it's such a concentrated mass that mm-hmm. it's it's not breaking down like you'd want it to. When the pathogens from the buried poop leach into the soil. They can then spread into waterways and become naturalized into an ecosystem, reproducing and living on after the feces have decomposed. This is a problem particularly because modern day human feces are more likely to contain chemicals, hormones, and antibiotic resistant bacteria. Exactly. So we're taking all this stuff we're putting in our body. Medications, birth control, you name it, whatever goes in our body has to come out somewhere as it comes out in our urine or our feces. And so we are depositing these into all these concentrated pockets in the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, Many uh, outdoor educations are continuing instructing people to dig cat holes 
Laura Jacob, Lara Jacobs, a recreation biologist, says that in the 80s and 90s, the number of people in the backcountry was comparatively low, that simply getting the poop out of sight was sufficient. One or two feces here and there is not a problem, but a whole trail lined with them is. Yeah. Now, we've talked about it in the recent years, last couple of years since the pandemic started, that we go out there and there's all the to- uh, tissue oh, the, flowers. Yeah, there's toilet paper flowers, flowers, yeah. Right, everywhere. Yeah. It's because people are just finding a spot beside the trail or beside because, the campsite. No one knows yeah. what the Thunderbox is. and Or they find the Thunderbox gross, so they're yeah. just going to poop in the bush. Uh, a ranger at Zion National Park packed out nine pounds of human feces from a popular canyon in 2021. <laughs> a U.S. Forest Service banned camping in Oregon's no-name lake in 2019 after it started to smell like a sewer. Wow. A recent study of the San Juan River, which flows through several western states and is popular among river runners, found that the levels of E. coli specifically associated with human feces were nearly 12 times higher than the EPA standard in some places. Wow, eh? And, of course, the pandemic's only made things worse. Uh, many long-time enthusiasts reported seeing more littered Toilet paper and unburied waste in the last two years than ever before. Absolutely. And we've seen that too. Big time. Um, there, There's just so many problems with it. So now they're talking about changing the etiquette, saying we ought to be teaching backcountry users in nearly every location to pack out their poop in wag bags. Waste alleviation and gelling. Or similar waste things. So it's usually a bag with toilet paper, hand sanitizer, and the double-layered bag you can poop directly into. And there's a chemical compound in there that mixes and solidifies And solidifies it, right? Okay, so first off, you're going to get me trying to aim into a bag of poop. <laughs> I have enough trouble trying to aim my pee into a toilet. Now I got to poop in a bag from... <laughs> Visitors to Utah Bears Ear National Monument can now get a free wag bag at the Visitor Center. California's Mount Whitney has required wag bags since 2006, and it reports that users pack out 8,000 pounds of poop wow. a year. So that's that's two things. That blows my mind for the fact that there's 8,000 pounds of, of poop is coming out of the woods. But the other part that blows my mind is like, that used to be left in the woods. How much does still get left in the woods? Oh, yeah, still right? does. Like, that's a lot. It's incredible. Rocky Mountain National Park provides Who weighs wag- it? Who weighs it? <laughs> Excuse me, is it a wag bag? Yeah, please put it on the scale. <laughs> uh, maybe they should put estimate. Estimate 80 <laughs> yes. pounds. There you go. Can you please fill out this questionnaire? How many pounds of poop did you pack out? <laughs> Peter packed 40 pounds of poop. (laughs) Uh, Rocky Mountain National Park provides wag bags not just on climbing routes or above tree lines, but also in its backcountry permit office and trailheads throughout the park. Rocky Mountain House also recently installed new types of backcountry toilets where cat holes and pit holes are impractical. Oh, yeah. Because of lack of soil. soil. These toilets separate urine from solid waste, making it easier for rangers to pack out that waste with llamas and mules. Mm -hmm. So he's a 
pack mule? No, he's a poop, poop mule. mule. <laughs> a poop llama. Well, I, I would prefer a mule to pack it out than me to put it in a backpack and have it on my back. Yeah. And, thing with it. and when you're packing wag bags, it's like, okay, the, just be careful. The red bag is where all the poop goes. The green bag is where the food goes. <laughs> well, you know what they say? Bringing wag bags on every backcountry excursion and carrying days worth of your own poop out of, of the wilderness on a multi-day trip is not appealing. But ultimately, it's less gross than eating, sleeping, and playing on poop-filled yeah, public lands. Exactly. Your your tent is on top of somebody's cat hole. If you collect multiple wag bags on your trip, it is um, a tip is to bring a lightweight dry bag and stick them all in there. When you return to civilization, simply throw your wag bags at the trash. There you go. Well, another thing is if you're being attacked by a bear. <laughs> your bear. Ammo. <laughs> What's in the bag? Whoa, that's not a burger. <laughs> Surprise. Here's mud in your eye, Yogi. So, yeah, changing the uh, outdoor poop etiquette is definitely something we need to be thinking of. And they said, you know, one of the one of the things they say is when Stoop and Scoop first started. Yep, for dogs. You know, it's like, I'm not scooping, I'm not picking up my dogs. I'm not my dog's Poop. poop. I'm, yeah, I'll flick it in the bush or something. Yeah. And now everybody's got that little thing that hangs on the dog's leash that has the little green bags. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. dog stops on somebody's lawn. You take out a bag, yeah. pray nobody's looking, bend down, scoop it up, and tie it, and you can hook it yeah. onto the bag. And everybody, everybody knows. Yep, he's doing his job picking up, and it's it's just commonplace now. So, with that in mind, uh, I'll put this out there that, uh, and you know who you are, you whoever's listening is uh, when you scoop your dog's poop and you put it in the bag, that doesn't get you out of the fact that you have to carry it out of the bush with you. Do not drop it on the side of the trail into the edge of the bushes because everywhere I hike around here, I see these little doggy bags of poop. Don't do that. Tree hangers. Like, why do you do that? Oh, I will hang it from the tree to remind me when I come back that it's there. So I don't have to carry Mm -hmm. it for the next half hour on the walk. I'll get it on the way back. Because how many dogs poop about five minutes down the trail when they get out of the car? Yeah. Yeah, And then you're gone for an hour. Mm -hmm. So then you got to carry that bag of poop for an hour. So people, I find people hang them on the tree. And then they forget. And then you're walking down and it looks like somebody's decorated the tree. Yeah. Because there's five poo bags on it. Yeah. Get me a star and some lights and that <laughs> baby's ready for Christmas. <laughs> so, yeah, start thinking about that. I don't know if if they sell... Now, they say you can order them online and stuff, but I've never actually seen wag a wag bag being sold this, out here. So, when I heard about this this story and I read it, it was, uh, wag bag was a new thing to me when I read it there earlier mm-hmm. this week. It's like, oh, well, that's interesting. So, it, it's... As unappealing as it is, it's it's going to become a necessity. We just can't afford to keep dropping our waste into the backcountry. No. There's too many of us using the backcountry. The only other thing, don't poop. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> just carry a giant cork. Start of the trip. Yeah. And when you get home after your trip. Yeah. Let her rip. <laughs> get it, make sure there's a string attached to that cork. Because you don't want your hand anywhere near it. Sticking with the stinky situation. (laughs) On the same theme. (laughs) On the same theme of poop. So there was a little article 
Uh, sometimes when you're out camping and you hit the thunderbox or the toilet yeah. vault, pit vault you know, toilet, you go to the bathroom. You know, you camp with some buddies. You go there and um, you're there on there for a little while, and then you come back. Somebody's always, hey, "What took you so long? Thought you fell in? Ha <laughs> ha! We're going to send a search party." <laughs> You've also had the incident where at night you see the thunderbox and it's glowing because somebody's flashlights rolled in. Yes. Which would be Marion Sontag did that. Yeah. Mikey's done that. <laughs> Has he? Yep. Uh, so what if you combine falling in and dropping something in? Funny story, <laughs> not going to happen. Wrong. It did. It did. <laughs> There's a woman in Washington state who apparently will rename Remain nameless. Yeah. The authorities did not give her name, which is appropriate. Yep. The poor woman does not uh, need to be She doesn't known. need more embarrassed than she yeah. already was. She doesn't be, need to be notorious. So she was visiting Mount Walker hiking trail on Olympia, Olympic Peninsula, entered one of the vault toilets, accidentally dropped her phone down the bowl, and the woman attempted multiple methods to retrieve it from the top the uh, from atop the pile of human waste. First using a dog leash to try to fish out the phone. When that failed, she disassembled the whole structure around the hole, which is a question in itself. <laughs> she used the leash to support her weight and leaned over to grab the phone, and it was all downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> I've rewritten the article a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the woman lost her balance, fell through the open hole down in an eight foot pit. She was unhurt by the fall because, you know, it was a squishy landing. Yeah. Found her phone and called rescuers who arrived 20 minutes later to save her. <laughs> Fire crews washed her down, offered her a Tyvek hazmat suit to wear, which she declined. Tim Manley, chief of the fire department, told uh, <laughs> the papers that the woman was extremely polite to rescuers, but it was evident that she did not want to stick around afterwards to chit-chat. <laughs> Obviously quite embarrassed. After we washed her down, she just wanted to leave. No <laughs> doubt. <you> think? <laughs> uh, the one element of the story that all sources agree on is its unusual nature. Nobody had ever heard of this happening before. <laughs> Manley, who's worked in the firehouse for 40 years, said the scenario was a first for him. When the call came in, we all just looked at each other and we're like, did I just hear what I think I heard? (laughs) What did she just say? You know people are going to be going. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, He says uh, his co-workers sent the story around to each other and marveled at its bizarreness. They build concrete outhouses for a living and had never heard of anyone tumbling into one of their constructions on accident. So what do you do if your phone somehow tumbles into a trailhead <laughs> toilet? Just let it go, Manly says. That's why you buy cell phone insurance. So first off, she disassembled. How? Well, there's just, just some screws holding those. I mean, yeah, let's walk over to my car. Shh. Her husband got her that drill bit, the, 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 the ratchet screwdriver for Mother's Day, the hidden drill bits. Secondly, if my phone goes in the shit pit, it's staying there. Sorry, I don't know what happened to my phone. But all the pictures that are out, those are irreplaceable. They will be irreplaceable. 
<laughs> if I had to get it and ended up in the pit, I would take that Tyvek hazmat suit and burn my clothes right there because <laughs> there would not yeah, be enough yeah. soap to wash them bad boys. <laughs> so when Marion dropped her flashlight in, I heard her tell the story. She said, I dropped it in. I looked at it shining up. at." She said she, it was the light was shining up at her. It was one of those... Uh, you have one. It's uh, one of the fancy lights. What, the headlamps? Yeah, headlamps. Oh, the uh, Wizard Pro. Something like thing. that. Yeah. It was like one of those. Like Anyways, the Army Tech. She, yeah, so it was something like that. And she dropped it in. She looked at it. Oh. <laughs> but she made the right decision. She let it go. So yeah. I imagine that that light just burned pretty much all night. Well, picture the back country. <laughs> and you're sitting there. And you say, I'm going to go up to use the bathroom. And you're looking up the hill. And there's something glowing. Oh, yeah. And you make a mention of it, and someone says, yeah, I dropped my flashlight down. The Is that Mike? Mike. <laughs> you had a spare, thank goodness. <laughs> but, yeah, because you set it down, and it rolled. It rolls It in. wasn't a headlamp, yeah. right? It was the actual flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sploosh. It's, it's there forever now. Yeah. It's, 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 that's but at least forever we, knew where the, we knew where the Thunderbox was. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's marked for a night finding. <laughs> Oh, and that's our poopy show for the night. Uh, yeah, that's all I got, man. <laughs> so should we have a contest? Free t-shirt to the person who counts the m- number of times we said poop. How many times did we say poop tonight? <laughs> Too many. <laughs> oh, you know what? Uh, Dennis, canoe hound. He gave me one of his hats, too. While I was there uh, this weekend. Oh, yes, I saw I that got there. A nice canoe, hat, uh, canoe hound. If you don't watch uh, Canoe Hound Adventures on YouTube, he does a... Uh, a live YouTube show every Tuesday night on uh, Canoe Hound Adventures um, YouTube page. You had Northern Scavenger this week, I yeah, believe. Yeah, you had Northern Scavengers yeah. on this week. Uh, he has Kevin Callan on a lot. He does, he does a whole bunch. Yeah. He does basically stuff we do, but live. He does like, it on YouTube. People. Yeah, he yeah has on a, YouTube. Yeah, it's a show. It's a live show. You can watch it afterwards. It's a, show. a really good show. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's live on Tuesdays, but it uh, you can go puts any day of the week for, to see yeah. the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, he's on, what, 100, 101, two, th- I think this week is 103? Yeah. 103rd episode or something? He took a week off, didn't he? Last no, week? No, no, no. He was there last week. He, he did rerun. Talked about... Was it week four last then? No, was it, no he had a couple of weeks off uh, yeah. earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. They're like two months ago or whatever yeah. because of things. So, uh, But uh, yeah, check him out and uh, watch, his, um, watch his show. Uh, you got anything else? Uh, I can apologize to all the listeners that they've had to listen to us for an hour and a half. Talk about poop? <laughs> it's been an hour and a half. It's been yes. ooh, an hour and 26 minutes. So, <laughs> hey, why stop now? <laughs> Marathon. What, what, what's that they call it when they're uh, on the, was it Senate floor or whatever, and they just oh, keep going and going? Oh, yes. A filibuster. Uh, filibuster. Let's have a filibuster. <laughs> all right. Uh, enjoy your, your new stove, yes, Derek. That's awesome. Again, Thank you. thanks for putting up with my crap for, uh, <laughs> the last six years and helping out and buying beer and all that sort of <laughs> thing. It's been a blast. Um, yeah, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream all our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. You can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and listen to all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your family, friends, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>